Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Not The Farmer's Wife. Uh, this week is episode 39. I cannot believe that we're just about to hit 40 episodes. It's insane how quickly that has gone. Um, so this week I wanted to talk to everybody about something that I think puts a lot of people off the idea of having livestock on their farm or homestead. And I think that um, there's good reason for it. There are, you know, there's certainly, I would never say to go into this topic lightly, but um, I also think that sometimes people might blow it up to be bigger than it is. So what I want to talk about is healthy livestock and happy chickens. And the reason I want to talk about that this week is not only because it is very important to have happy and healthy livestock on your farm or homestead, um, but also because this week I have been dealing with an issue of a sick goat. And um, those issues come up from time to time. I've also had one of my um, customers uh, contact me about a sick chicken. And he has a whole different set of issues regarding uh, his sick chicken than I do with the sick goat and I'll go into that in a bit more detail but so he's he has a Isa Brown who is three years old and has suddenly started wasting uh, not eating not moving around not doing her normal chicken things and he was very concerned as he was away and somebody else was looking after the bird for him uh, he contacted me to try and get some information from overseas he was that concerned and at the end of the day, even though I haven't seen the bird, I'm going to guess that the bird is probably uh, getting to that stage of end of life. Isa Browns live on average between three and four years. Uh, this one is three years old. She has stopped laying some time ago. And I think she is at a point where she's just, you know, it's heading towards that end of life scenario, which I think is mortifying him because he doesn't quite know what to do and it's a topic that that will come up anybody that's on a homestead um, you'll get to a point where you have a sick animal and you have to make a decision whether or not to euthanize the animal or whether to fight through and try and recover the animal now in some cases they're non-recoverable um, I have had a goat who had mastitis and while we did go down the veterinary path to start with, and we did all the injectables, we injected into the udder, we stripped her udder, we did all that kind of thing. Uh, she had a particular type of bacteria in her udder, and that bacteria took over her udder like nothing I have ever seen. Um, in the space of a week, she wasted away to nothing, and her udder turned into a rock-hard mass. And um, it happened so quickly that I actually didn't have the chance to make much of a decision about um, whether or not to euthanize. But uh, five days in or six days into the treatment, 
um, I came home and realized that she had not even stood up that day. And at that point, I decided, and it was a really hard decision. I never make these decisions lightly, but I had to make the decision to have that animal um, uh, put down, uh, put to sleep. And while most farmers will do certain jobs like that on the farm, my milking goats um, have an elevated position in my eyes. And I took her in, I actually took her into the vets in the back of the car and said to him, is there anything you can do to fix her at this point? And he felt the mass in her udder and said, um, no, I would have to remove the udder so she would never be able to milk again. And she may never be able to breed again. If she was a purebred um, champion bloodlined goat, it might be worth trying. But given she is basically a backyard goat, she has no papers, it was not worth the expense that it would have uh, pushed out to. So sometimes you do have to make those really hard decisions about whether or not it is time to end an animal's suffering and have the animal put to sleep or whether to fight through and see if you can make things better. Now, we've had chickens with um, egg-bound issues. Uh, we've only had two. Uh, both of them have died so even though we've done everything that we could I did not take them to the vet I, I refuse I have a I think everybody needs to draw a line in the sand somewhere as to what they will or won't do um, for example our Merrimah if she had an issue then we would be going to the vet she is worth too much to me uh, my stud buck Rocky is worth too much to me so if he had an issue he'd be going to the vet too <laughs> uh, but that's because those animals are worth quite a bit of money but they're also worth they have a value that I can't replace necessarily or that I can't replace easily or quickly. A chicken sounds terrible to some people, but a chicken, I can replace the value of that chicken more easily and more readily than I can my purebred Anglo-Nubian buck. So I think it's a, it's a topic that people don't want to discuss. They don't want to talk about. They don't want to think about the fact that, oh, what happens if I have to do that? And I think in this gentleman's case, he um, is loath at the idea that it, it might actually be better for the bird if he was just to um, put the bird to sleep himself, which is what I would do with a chicken. I would not be going to a vet to get it put down. Um, but he was actually contacting me and asking me about vets and which vet he could go to with a chicken, which, as I said to him, I don't take my chickens to the vet. Um, if there's a problem with my chickens that I can't resolve and I feel that they're suffering too much, then I dispatch them here on the farm. So that it's a topic I, I really think people put off the idea of having livestock because they think, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I'm just going to run through a few things that I think you really need to consider and you know it's a very personal choice so and this is why I think a lot of people don't go into having um, pastured meat birds uh, because it is a very personal choice to be able to dispatch a, an animal um, even if it's you know for food and you're doing all the right things you know by the by the animal it's still a really hard decision to make it's a very personal decision so the main one is when you are getting into homesteading I think you really need to consider what livestock you're prepared to manage so chickens are a very easy one I think because I don't have the concern of racing them into the vet and having a vet bill and, and you really do have to consider that but um, goats for example um, we've had to dispatch a goat here that had a broken leg um, that, that was a really hard call to make but we dispatched it because the idea of watching an animal hobble around the paddock suffering or trying to repair a broken bone 
and it was a weather he was earmarked for freezer camp anyway so in our mind it was better to dispatch him then and there rather than risk uh, having him you know in pain or anything but when you're deciding on what livestock to have on your property you need to consider all right well a chicken I can cope with I can cope with having to knock a chicken on the head or, or cut a chicken's throat in order to dispatch it but I know I can't look after a goat like that so if I'm going to get a goat I'm going to have to make sure that I have enough money enough funds put to the side so that if there is an issue that requires the goat to be taken into the vet uh, to either be dispatched or treated then I have the money aside for that. Uh, say with horses, horses can be very expensive. We have four horses here on the farm and um, two of those horses, if something happened to them, it would be more than likely that I would dispatch them myself. Um, and the other two uh, are more valuable to me in that sense of the word and I would probably struggle through and try and find a way to fix it. Uh, but you really do need to consider what type of animals you're going to have and whether or not you can manage that. Um, I know a lot of farmers in the US have, um, a lot of homesteaders have rabbits. Obviously, if there's a problem with a rabbit, that's a much easier animal to dispatch than, um, say, a cow. Um, but that having been said, I would dispatch a cow here too. Um, honestly, there's very few animals that I would be taking to the vet to have dispatched. And like I say, my milking goats are right up there at the top of that. Um, so... The other thing that you need to look at when you're getting livestock for your farm, a couple of things that will prevent you having issues down the track as far as injuries like broken legs or um, illnesses is to make sure you've got the right infrastructure set up. So correct housing and correct fencing is vital if you are having livestock. Um, we've got a merima, so that pre prevents a lot of predator problems for us with foxes and things like that. But we still have... An electric fence around the chickens we still have proper goat fencing around both goat paddocks or all three goat paddocks we have electric fencing around the bucks paddock um, we have fencing up the back that prevents the horses from going through um, the cow paddock also has fencing that is sufficient to cover the cows so we have all those things in place uh, and our brooder house is a lovely lined solid building up off the ground so that it doesn't get drafty or doesn't have um doesn't have problems with rot or cold or damp or anything um, and it's got everything set up in it properly so making sure you've got that right infrastructure uh, particularly for predator protection me measures um, you're going to find that there's a lot less by way of injuries or damage to livestock that you have to manage when you don't have a predator issue um, the other thing as far as infrastructure and this is the issue that I've had this week with hazel my milking goat is that I think her worm count had jumped up again. Now, the paddock that she's in at the moment um, is what we call our milking paddock. Unfortunately, the milking paddock is just one big 10-acre paddock, and I really need to splice it into like four two-and-a-half-acre paddocks. And by doing that, I could then rotate the goats so that we don't have worm or parasite issues. Now, at the moment, I have, I actually thought she had milk fever, even though it was way too late after kidding to have milk fever. Um, but she um, went downhill very, very quickly within 12 hours. And I went and did a, what's called a famacha. I think I'm going to pronounce that wrong. Famach, fam, famcha, famcha. I think it's F-A-M-C-H-A. It is a eye check that you do the inner eyelid of a goat. And you can tell what their worm count is going to be approximately uh, based on the colour of the inner eyelid. 
and in her case when I first checked it it was dark and I was using a torch and it looked like it was still quite pink and then I checked it the next day after I'd started her on some calcium for what I thought was milk fever and it turned out that her inner eyelid was actually a little bit paler than what I'd thought so she has since been wormed and is now being uh, and all the animals in that paddock with her have been wormed because that's the thing you have to treat everybody who's in the paddock so we're leaving them in there for two days and then we're going to move them onto fresh pasture and it's going to be a bit of a pain in the ass for milking because it's not my milking bowl's not set up in that paddock but I will move it to that paddock uh, because I really think it's important to get on top of a worm issue and we get Barbara's pole worm here which is a horrible horrible one I've lost two goats to it in the past it's very quick and um, Hazel is not out of the woods yet. She's still not eating the way that I would be happy. She's she's kind of playing with the food rather than eating it. Um, so having grazing areas that you can do rotational grazing is going to prevent so many problems as far as parasite loads. It really, I can't say enough how much rotational grazing works. Um, and we obviously we need to get more fences set up so that I can then utilize a rotational system so that the goats are not in a paddock that that can get it too high a worm count um feeding and nutrition now i you know it's it goes the same for humans as it does for animals uh, what is it food let food, food be thy medicine um, and that's exactly the same for animals animals do better when they have the correct nutrition if you're feeding your animals crap or you're just expecting them to forage and they're not getting any hard feed, um, then you have to accept that their condition will be in line with that. Now, in the case of the horses, the horses here don't get any hand, hard feed. Uh, hand feed. They are out the back up the paddock at the moment because I'm still coming back from a buggered knee. Uh, but they'll be coming back down soon. And when they do come back down, they will be given some hard feed. But I'm lucky in that I have horses that do very, very well on grass. Um, they, they have not required too much. Uh, when I bring them back in, I do give them some supplements if I'm working them to help them out with that. Um, same with the goats. The milking goats get some extra supplements because they're having to supply milk. Um, the angoras, I've got to be honest, are so tough and hardy. They don't. <laughs> they, they're lucky to get one biscuit of hay a week. Um, uh, my buck rocky he gets extra feed um, particularly during breeding season because he's got a lot more work to do and it takes a bit more of a toll on his body but you do need to work out what you need to feed and certainly if there's supplementation or minerals that animals need i cannot stress how much it is important to find out what they need and give that to them so in the case of our goats they have um, like a goat block it's a mineral block that is in the paddock with them um, and I actually want to get a couple of different mineral blocks because there's a lot that are just very generic or you can get specific ones that cover really specific issues and I'd rather have two or three blocks in the paddock even though I'd have to move them around I'm going to build a little trailer to put them on um, I'd rather have them in the paddock and move them around with the goats and know that the goats have always got access to all of the very good high quality minerals that they need so that's definitely one to consider and um, you know if you're thinking oh but you know that sounds like a lot of work honestly the the supplements and nutrients that you need to give them is such a minute amount I mean the biowormer that I use for the goats um, it's a liver mole biowormer and it's like a um, natural method of helping keep their worm counts in check 
and and they've actually been off it the last couple of weeks which is hence why hazel has a problem i think um uh that it well it cost me 50 bucks for a tub that tub has lasted me for six months because you only put a tiny scoop in with their food so buying the right size container for your animals and making sure that you've got it kept somewhere safe and dry and you know where pests can't get into it means it will last and if you're using it correctly you shouldn't have to be going through it all the time unless you have hundreds and hundreds of animals then you wouldn't need to go through it all, all that quickly um now the other one that people tend to i think get a bit freaked out about is healthcare basics and a lot of people struggle with the idea that I'm not a vet nurse, I've not had these kind of animals before, so therefore I'm not going to know what I'm doing. If they get sick, I won't know. Honestly, even though I would say contact me if it's chickens or goats, I'm more than happy to, to help. Uh, Google is your best friend. There is nothing you cannot Google these days. And even so far as going onto YouTube and looking at um, images and videos that people have posted of an animal with a particular illness so um, I think the first time I had a chook that looked a little bit egg bound I went straight into YouTube and put in egg bound chicken and saw a, a video of a chicken that was confirmed egg bound and realized that my chicken wasn't egg bound <laughs> because it wasn't anything like what I thought it was um, now all the chickens that we had when I was growing up as a kid and a teenager I don't think we ever had an egg bound chicken and I don't know whether mum and dad just didn't keep them that long they only lasted like 18 months and then they got sent to freezer camp I, I don't recall anybody ever having an egg bound issue so I don't know whether that's got something to do with modern feeding practices maybe we're getting more and more chickens that are egg bound I've had two in the last five years so that seems high to me when I had none as a kid um, but definitely um, make yourself familiar, get a good book, go and look and, and, and Google and say which book is best for health of goats or horses or cows and get that book and keep it. And if when you find a good one, tell everybody about it because they're like Bibles. They really, they are just so vital to have um, when you've got an animal and, you know, three o'clock in the morning and you've got a sick animal and you're trying to work out what's wrong having a some kind of guideline or being able to go onto google is will save your your skin um, but regular health checkups now we don't get the vet out to the farm at this stage that being said this year i i actually planned uh, at the end of summer to get the vet to come to the farm and do all of my vaccinations all of my injectables because normally i do the injectables myself but i figure if i just get all the animals in in one hit and get the vet to do it all in one hit dogs cows goats chickens obviously don't need it horses if we get everything in and do it all in one hit then um we know that we're right for a good 12 months and having having that relationship with the vet where he's been out to the property and seen the animals i mean as it is i have an awesome vet i where i live i'm closest to yas valley veterinary um in murrumbateman and they the vets there i honestly cannot speak highly enough for them if you are going into livestock i would strongly encourage you to hunt around in your local area and find a vet that comes with glowing recommendations um, if you can find a vet that's going to um, be able to answer things over the phone be able to leave injectables at the counter for you to pick up to bring home and inject rather than having to come out to your property 
um, it's going to save you so much money and so much time. And, and it really is worth, they're, they're such a good asset to have. Um, but also too, they will get to know your animals. Um, certainly we had an issue with um, uh, Barbara's pole worm. And um, we also believe that the goat unfortunately might have eaten um, poisonous mushrooms that were growing in the paddock. And the vet was so good. He went, when we got in there with her, because it was one of my milking goats, when we got in there with her, he... Um, he said straight up to me, look, she's not going to make it. She's, she's, you know, I can't bring her back from uh, liver failure and kidney failure, which is where she was heading. Um, but he offered to do a autopsy for me to find out exactly what it was so that I could then prevent any issues with any of the other goats that have been in that paddock. Um, having, having that kind of relationship with your vet is just so important. Um, so... Uh, obviously, the regular health checkups and observations are something that's on you. And, and I really believe that if you are handling your animals every day or at least every other day, um, the cows, we don't see the cows necessarily every day, but we certainly um, every other day we would come across them. They'd be up at the gate where we'd see them and speak to them and go over and, and I check them. I literally go over their bodies and go, have you got any injuries? Have you got a snotty nose? Is your eyes looking clear? Do your ears look clear? Are you looking lethargic or underweight or anything like that? Having that regular contact with them and checking them on a regular basis. Um, Hazel, when Hazel went down the other morning, it was Friday morning, Thursday night she'd been put away, the handy helper put her away and she was fine, she was eating, there was no issue and within 12 hours when I went up to milk in the morning um, she'd stopped eating, she'd gone off her of food, she was very lethargic, she'd dropped weight overnight so within a 12 hour period she had dropped weight. So because we know the animal so well when we see that we straight away go, ah, no, there's something wrong. I mean, in Hazel's case, as soon as she turned her nose up at food, I knew there was something wrong. Um, so it made it easy to make that assessment. Now, I have a little bit of knowledge about goat illnesses. I'm probably more than the average person. So um, straight away, I started running through the things. I felt her. She was cold to touch. She had a little bit of the shakes. Uh, her milk production had dropped over the last couple of days, but I thought that was because she was in season, so I wasn't expecting her to get sick. Um, because she'd lost a bit of weight, she had a little bit of the scours, I came down, I googled. And and because I knew what to look for as far as her temperature, heart rate, um, whether or not she was off of food, whether she had the scours, so all that got keyed in. And it came up with milk fever, which I sat back and went, oh, I don't know whether it is milk fever, she's, you know, six eight weeks uh, post kidding so normally milk fever would happen right at the time of kidding or, or just before kidding um, but I crushed up a couple of human calcium tablets put them in some water shot them into a syringe and put them down her throat and within a half an hour she was eating food again so I went to the vet I got injectables for calcium came home started the injection process and she looked like she was picking up briefly and then she went downhill again. And that's when I rechecked her eyes and realized that I had probably checked them at, you know, four, five o'clock in the morning in the half dark with a torch and thought they were a little bit pinker than they were. So as of this morning, she was wormed. Um, all of the animals wormed in that paddock. And at the moment, like I say, she's not out of the woods still, but I'm monitoring her. So, and that's all I can do. Now, if she goes downhill, will I rush off to the vet? I have to be honest, probably not. Um, even though Hazel's one of my older milkers, um, I know what it would cost me for a vet. <laughs> 
uh, especially after hours. Um, so the question I have to, to weigh up is what value will it be to have her seen to? Now, it depends. If it's something that I think can be fixed or something that I know a vet can deal with, then that would be different. Um, but in this case, if she can't come back from a worm load after being wormed, then there's not a lot that the vet's going to be able to do anyway. And that's where that hard decision comes in. Do you keep pushing through and say, no, at any cost, I want you to fix this animal? Or do you accept the fact that if, if the animal can't be fixed with a certain level of medication, then it's not going to be fixed the more money you throw after it? So anyway... That, it sounds very morbid and very depressing that you would have to make that decision. But it is, like all animal ownership, you may have to make a hard decision like that. If a dog, it's the same for a domestic animal. If a dog or a cat got hit by a car, um, you would have to make the decision, all right, well, I go to the vet. The vet might say, look, I can fix the animal. I can absolutely fix the animal. It's going to cost you $6,000 to fix this animal. Uh, and you could stand there and say, well, I don't have insurance. I don't um, have $6,000. Uh, I can't afford that. What are our options? And the vet will tell most vets, most good vets will be very, very upfront with you. And they will say, well, it's $6,000 uh, to, to, to fix the animal from the car accident, or it will cost you $45 to have um, the animal euthanized. Now, yes, that's a horrifying decision to make, especially if it's a domestic pet that, you know, you might be very, very attached to. Uh, but you also have to make a financial and a very realistic decision. Uh, is that dog or cat going to come back from those surgeries and be perfectly fine and, and have the same quality of life that it had beforehand? Um, are you going to feel that, the, do you feel that the $6,000 is worth putting into that particular animal? Um, and if you do, by all means, go ahead and make that decision. But I don't think anybody should be criticized for saying, well, no, the $6,000 is too much for me to pay. That's that's going to a point where, you know, I, I can't afford, I'm going to be putting myself into a tough financial situation um, and, you know, and or the animal may not have the same quality of life, which means you then may have to um, do extra things to care for that animal afterwards. But personal decision. Uh, I've, I've, had animals put down I've also likewise spent two thousand dollars on an animal to have it fixed so as I say it does depend on the animal and the situation and whether or not it can actually be fixed now I'll get off that topic now because that's probably the hardest topic that we were going to discuss but the next one is uh, biosecurity now I will I'm going to talk about biosecurity and having guests on your farm next week but just to briefly touch on it when you are bringing animals or livestock onto your property, you have to um, make sure that you have the infrastructure there to be able to quarantine any animals coming in. Now, the reason I say this is because every animal that comes onto your property brings with it its history. And if its history involves a heavy pest load, a heavy parasite load, it could, in the case of goats, uh, it could have um, John's disease, um, if you don't know what the animal has or what it's been vaccinated against or what it's currently sporting, uh, you need to be able to quarantine. Now, we quarantine any animal that comes onto the property gets segregated into a separate paddock and that paddock is rested the entire time when we're not having new animals coming in. So any worm or parasite loads would be gone. But you need to keep them separate. You need to monitor them. 
and that would be when you would have any vet checks done if you were getting a vet to come out you would get the vet to come out take blood do any vet checks they need to to say yes they're up to date with this no they've got this disease yeah you don't want to have all your other animals get sick because you've brought an animal onto the farm that and and it might have been somebody gave it to you you might have got a really good deal on it but it won't be a good deal if you end up with all of your animals sick from something now um, that being said, uh, in Australia at the moment, you need a property identification number, a PIN, before you can transport animals anywhere. Uh, and you need to sign a document to say that you are transporting animals. And that's because we had an issue probably 12, 18 months ago now with hand, foot and, uh, hand, foot and mouth, foot, mouth, foot and mouth disease coming in from Bali. And a lot of people freaked out and said that the government was just cracking down too hard. But they were trying to stop it going through our beef and sheep and goat industries. Um, because if it did go through them, <laughs> we'd be screwed. It'd be well and truly rooted. So um, it's it's really important that if there is something like that going around, same with the bee issue that we've just come out of the other side of with varroa mite. If there is a issue in the, in the region or the zone where you live, then it's really important that you be aware of it and be aware of what your responsibilities are to stop your animals getting sick. And if that means telling people that they cannot come onto your property uh, because they've just come back from Bali and they're still wearing the same shoes that they were wearing in Bali, well, so be it. I mean, if they're your friend, they're not going to ask you to, to risk your animals anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important to be aware of those things. And, you know, if you have somebody coming onto your farm who, like a vet, who's, who's, been on other properties um, one of the really simple ways of doing it is if usually they're wearing gum boots or boots um, is having a foot wash so just a tub of water with disinfectant in it that they have to stand in for like a couple of minutes with their shoes and that just stops them walking any um, soil borne diseases from other farms onto your property now a vet should be wearing uh, protective clothing anyway P ppc i think we call it um, PPE, personal protection equipment, should be wearing that anyway, which would be disposable stuff that they can take off from the outside of their clothing and put in the bin and gloves that before they're touching any of your animals. So that way they're not transferring anything from any other animals they've seen onto your animals. Um, now, one thing I will say is um, when you are quarantining animals, just keep a really close eye on them and stay at really, you know, like, pay a lot of attention to them because you might miss something that indicates whether or not you need to be dealing with a health issue. Um, all right. Uh, oh, the other thing, uh, I've got a couple more things that I want to discuss. One is behavioral considerations. So um, it's really important that animals um, be allowed to live like the animal that they are. Um, I think uh, Joel Salatin's got a book, The the Pigginess of Pigs or something like that. And and that pretty much sums it up. It's chickens need to act like chickens. Cows need to act like cows. Goats need to act like goats. So having paddocks set up and having um, areas set up, like with our baby goats, we have things, platforms that they can jump up on so that they can do that normal goat behavior of climbing and, and jumping and things like that. That will minimize the stress in the animals and that will make sure that you have happy animals and happy animals generally will be healthy animals. Um, it's, it's important if they're going to be quarantined or locked away for a reason that they have some mental stimulation. Um, certainly we've had that issue with the buck here 
um, where his paddock that he was in was a bit smaller and um, we, we moved it thinking we're doing the right thing coming into summer moved it up the hill a little bit into some tree lightly wooded area so he had more shade but we'd moved him away from all the other goats now he's not in with the goats but he can see them he can smell them he can talk to them through the fence and he um, basically ripped a hole in the fence the electric fence getting out because clearly there wasn't enough stimulation for him with the other goats now He's got a paddock, but he's got a weather in the paddock with him. But that wasn't enough. He Goats are herd animals. He needed to be near the rest of his herd. We've now moved his <laughs> paddock back down to a different area where it is um, alongside the fence of the Angora paddock. And he is as happy as he is just walking up and down that fence talking to the girls all day. So that's obviously improved his mental health, which will have the flow on effect of improving his physical health as well um reproduction and breeding this is one that really gets people they worry about what are they going to do when an animal's born and and rightly so i see on facebook all the time people advertising oh i've got a 12 week old buck that i didn't i didn't castrate um because i don't know what i'm doing with castrating so but i know somebody will want him as a buck <laughs> no no they won't nobody's going to want your bits of buck um if you are breeding animals, if you're going through that birthing process, you need to cover off on it, not just from having the animal inseminated or bred with through to the actual birth, but you need to go beyond that. So you need to go, you know, the next level up, which is, are you going to castrate the animal? Are you going to make sure that it's it's not able to breed if it's not a breeding animal? Are you going to make sure it's been vaccinated? Are you going to cover off on all the other things that come with having baby animals? And yes, they're gorgeous and cute and we all love them and no problem there. But there is a lot of work that goes with that. And so you, you have to make sure that you are able to do all those things. And if you aren't, that's okay. That's I'm not saying you can't have the animals, but what you do need to do is make sure you've got somebody nearby who can help you with all those things. Uh, because it's no good walking away going, well, I didn't know what I was doing with um, castrating or banding a, a baby goat. I didn't know how to do it, so I just didn't do it. Well, the the as a as an animal owner, the onus is on you to ensure that you do the right thing by that animal. And have to, having to castrate a goat in later life is hugely detrimental to the animal goats do not do well with anesthetic so it has to be done under twilight sedation like so local anesthetic only and they can only be banded up to a certain age now i've had people say they've banded adult goats and and hats off to them i they probably have and it's probably been just fine um we band our boys as soon as we can feel both testicles that's it the band's on we do not need them breeding with their sister and believe me they can breed very early and on that note you if you have a male animal running with female animals then you have to accept the fact they're going to get pregnant <laughs> if you can't keep the male separate like we do with our buck then you need to accept the fact that nature's cycle is going to continuously breed uh, because that's what nature does it wants these animals to keep reproducing to keep their species up that's what nature tells them to do so you have to take that into consideration if you're not going to separate them if you want them all to live as one happy family they will continually breed every time they come into season 
um, and you may get two goats a year if you've got milking goats like mine they're always coming into season they don't have much of a break over those winter months where they're not cycling they cycle pretty much right up to winter and start again pretty much in spring um, so whereas my angoras cycle at a very very short window um, so you need to make sure you've got all the equipment if you need to have a vet come out you need to make sure you've got the money to do that or you need to be prepared to do the things that you need to do yourself and in my case I've always done it myself um, I've only had to assist twice um, twice three times three times I've had to assist one was still born couldn't couldn't be saved I tried I came just about as close to doing mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation on a goat that I've ever done uh, but unfortunately he just I could not get him back um, and the other two born healthy happy and no problems at all uh, they just needed a little bit of help because they had slightly larger heads and in one case the twins were trying to come out at the same time but you need to be prepared to do that and if you're not prepared to do that then you need to make sure you've got somebody nearby who can assist you at that time of year when it's the birthing time uh, likewise with milking and stuff like that you need to make sure that you've got all the equipment that you need that you're ready to get up in the morning and do it you know first thing in the morning last thing at night whatever your milking cycle is um, and and manage it yourself uh, chickens you don't have to worry about so much I've got a <laughs> I've got a breedy chick at the moment she went and took herself off to the veggie garden buried herself in the compost heap and is currently sitting on about 15 eggs uh, so we'll let you know how that goes uh, now the last one or not last one I've got a couple more the waste management it's important that you have the ability to um, deal with any manure issues um, and that goes down to our parasite control you need to be able to manage that um, now some people think oh god you know but if I've got to rotate paddocks all the time we well, don't have to rotate paddocks all the time if you're on a smaller acreage and you don't have the space to rotate then you really need to be very conscious about picking manure up um, because the more manure that they're sitting in and if they're feeding anywhere near their manure goats will just eat hay straight out of poo so um, you need to make sure that their food troughs are up their hay bale holders are up off the ground and that you're picking up any manure as it occurs um, composting is perfect it's you know it's a great way to to get rid of that excess waste so you would obviously if you had the space you would be getting a compost system happening so that you can drop all the manure into that seasonal considerations you need to be prepared for all kinds of weather and when I say that in most cases most animals do just fine even in extreme heat and extreme cold most animals are very very well adjusted to coping with things like that that being said my Anglo-Nubians do not do as well in the freezing cold winters they very much like their shelter they do not like rain they must have a dry area whereas the the Angoras they could be standing out it could be snowing and they just don't care um, but winter extreme winter and extreme summer is when you're pardon me going to need to really monitor their health and safety during that time and be prepared to have to move them into a shed you know if you do uh, and sometimes that means you going out in the dead cold <laughs> dark of night uh, to move animals so probably easier to be prepared for it in advance and keep a really close eye on the weather um, even though the weatherman never seems to get it right um, and move them in beforehand um, if if you think the bad weather's coming it's easier just to move them in beforehand 
now the last one I was going to talk about was community and resources and I can't stress this enough even though I hate social media I, I have a love-hate relationship with it um, it's really valuable to get onto the social media sites and um, get into groups that have people who are more experienced at keeping the animals than you are and that's because social media I find social media is such a great way to be able to say to somebody hey has anybody ever experienced this before I've got this happening with my goat or my cow or my chicken and I'm really not sure what it is I've not seen anything like this before you will have a plethora of people come back that being said please be um uh, how can I put it be um careful with the advice you take from strangers uh, sometimes people know a lot more than you and other times they know a hell of a lot less I have seen some crazy crazy comments um, particularly around things like banding goats oh my god some lady got up me uh, you can't band them at four weeks and I'm like why not if both testes are down I band them because that's so long as both testes are descended then then they're good to go Oh no, they'll end up with um, what is it, calcified urea or something? They 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 get a urinary tract issue, and um, so I asked my vet about it, and I said, "Is that true?" <laughs> and he said, "No, that's bullshit." <laughs> People say it all the time, and he said it's just not true. He said they get the calcium urinary tract issue uh, from uh, poor water sources and poor feed sources, not from being banded too early or too late or any of that stuff. Um, anyway, so. Even though I'm saying they're great resources, also be very careful where you get your advice from. Uh, I know for anybody that's interested in goats, there is a goat vet page on Facebook that it's only vets are allowed to answer your questions. So you can post something on there and you start with vets only and then put your little spiel in there and a vet will come back to you and they can take a little while because they're volunteering. Um, they'll come back to you and give you some advice about whether or not that's an issue that needs to go to a vet or whether it's something you could deal with at home or you need to monitor a bit further. Uh, but utilising those forums are just awesome. And, of course, other homesteading forums as well because there's always going to be people who have more experience than you. I, I like to think I'm very experienced at the moment, but, you know, there are times, like the other morning with Hazel and her milk fever slash worm issue, um, where I kind of sat back and went, shit, I actually not sure what's going on here I, I need to go and have a really good look because something's going on that I can't really peg anyway so don't let health issues and concerns put you off getting livestock if you think that you want livestock just go into it with your eyes wide wide open and be really prepared for the fact that animals do cost money and Certainly if you, and, and like I say, no judgment, if you're the kind of person who will go to the vet every time the animal is sick, you need to make sure that you've got the funds to back that up. Um, you can get insurance, obviously, for animals, but um, you know the premiums would obviously go up the more you claim. Uh, so you need to maybe have a, a slush fund, a savings fund that you put aside and put a certain amount in each week to cover off on things like vaccinations, you know, vet visits, uh, we've got Roxy due to go into the her for her vet checkup, and Luna will go with her as well. They go and have their their jabs, yearly jabs at the same time, and we always make sure that we've got some money set aside for that, uh, because there's nothing worse than getting into the vet and having some other issue, and the vet going, "Oh my God, that's five hundred dollars," and you go, "Shit, I uh, don't have five hundred dollars." The vet's still got to get paid, so you know he's doing a he or she's doing a great job, so you need to pay them. Anyway, 
If you have any questions, particularly about chickens or goats, I am more than happy to answer them. So DM me on the social medias, obviously, if you are thinking, oh, I'm not sure about that. Happy to, to kind of give you some pointers. But um, so long as you go into it with your eyes wide open, there's no reason why you can't have livestock and manage health and safety issues on the farm or homestead yourself. So that's it for me this week. Um, I hope you guys have an awesome week and I will speak to you all next week. I'm going to talk about having guests coming to your farm next week um, because that's a bit of a thing for us coming into Christmas. And we've had a lot of people say they want to come out and see the baby goats as well. So um, that is an issue that you need to consider and kind of, again, have a little bit of a think about what you will and won't do and what you will and won't allow. Anyway, that's it for now. See you all. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya. See ya.